Hello and welcome to 20 Tim Minutes, a podcast that focuses on mental health in a serious but yet humorous way. Listen as I interview a wide variety of guests where we show our support as well as sharing our own personal struggles and stories with mental health. I am your host, Tim McCarthy, and now it's time to talk about it. Hey, what's going on, everybody? You're tuning into another episode of 20 Tim Minutes. I am your host, Tim McCarthy. Today we have on Jenna Overbar, who is a licensed therapist since 2014 with many years of experience dealing with OCD. Jenna learned about exposure and response prevention, which is ERP therapy, the most effective form of OCD treatment. It's been her intent to help people from OCD to get through their challenges. So Jenna is here with how to show you how to manage OCD on your own confidence. Jenna, how are you? I'm a little bit discouraged after that rock, paper, scissors game, but we'll rebound. It's okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really rebound. excited to be here. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much. And anyone now that's watching this, be sure to stay for the whole interview so you can see our rock, paper, scissors matchup. Uh, it was pretty good. It was pretty uh, close. I, I, I had a lot of fun with that one. <laughs> uh, so let's hear a bit, little bit about you and your journey. What led up to uh, us talking? So I have always been an anxious kid. I always start out my story that way. My earliest memories were in school, elementary school, really nervous to be the new person in in class or, oh my gosh, what if this teacher calls on me? Um, But even from a really early age, I knew that life was just better if I ripped off the Band-Aid. Like if I just went and I did the difficult thing and I kind of got it over with, that was better than just sitting with my own anxiety and letting it win. And I, I didn't like that feeling of letting anxiety win. And so it just was always how I did things. When I went to college and I was in my Psych 101 class, I actually learned that this is kind of a treatment modality. It's a behavioral intervention that's used for people who have OCD primarily, but also anxiety of all different sorts. So social anxiety, generalized anxiety, specific phobias, uh, panic disorder. It's also used for trauma. And that was exposure and response prevention. So I latched onto that and I was like, that's what I have to do. I I always wanted to be a therapist, but I didn't want to be the one that was like in the corner offering tissues, just listening to someone cry. Like that wasn't what I wanted to be. I'm much more like active and, you know, in it. And I just, I, I wanted to do something different. And so as soon as I learned about ERP, it was all on at that point. I every every single research paper, everything that I could do, it was about OCD. It was about um, exposure and response prevention. I did a ton of research on it. Just dedicated my whole kind of college and grad school life to it. Um, I eventually went uh, to Rogers Memorial Hospital, which is uh, one of the two at the time, residential recovery centers for OCD and anxiety. So, you know, most debilitating cases of OCD and anxiety in the world were coming to me. Um, I I worked with other professionals to train them in how to treat OCD and anxiety. And now I work at NoCD. We are a teletherapy platform. Great name. Great name for a website. I know. I know. NoCD. We work with people who have OCD and related conditions. Um, And side note, you know, I've always struggled, like I said, with uh, anxiety, but I I also did struggle with postpartum OCD. I have a four-year-old. So um, the first year and a half or so of my son's life, I had a lot of harm intrusive thoughts and um, other really difficult uh, doubts when it, when it came to my memory and sleep deprivation. So, um, speaking definitely from professional, um, 
you know, line of thinking here, but also a little bit of that lived experience as well. I definitely want to touch back on the postpartum OCD. Um, I did an interview with somebody about postpartum, so I'm, I'm really interested with the OCD part. When you first got anxiety, did you know what it was right away? Or are you just like, what's going um, on? When I was a kid, no. I mean, I, I just thought that that's how everything was. I thought that everyone was that anxious. Um, I thought that that was just how my brain was and just how I had to live my life. And um Luckily, when I had my son, I had 10 plus years of OCD experience professionally and academically under my belt. So actually going into pregnancy, I was very ignorant, I would say, like not even naive, but just straight up ignorant. Like I know everything there is to know about OCD. I don't, I would never give into a compulsion. I'm not going to struggle with postpartum OCD. I'm like immune to it basically. Um, and I remember when I had my first intrusive thought about my baby, it was, oh my gosh, what if I snap his ankles? I was putting socks on him as an infant. Um, and from there I'm like, uh-uh, no, no, no. The stakes are way too high. I am not going there. And things just like spiraled from there. Um, so yeah, I, I knew, I knew then what it was, but it's, the stakes were still too high. It was my baby. And, and, yeah. I, I got then how bad this could get for people. What's uh, the best uh, like coping mechanism to battle anxiety for you personally? So <laughs> what we all want to do in the moment is we just want to get rid of it, right? We want to feel better. We want to cope. We want to do something to get better. We want to get rid of this feeling. It feels so dangerous. It feels so dangerous. But really the best thing to do is to allow yourself to feel anxious and continue as though that thing was not threatening. So what I should have done in that moment was continue to put my socks on my son or put the socks on my son as though that thought was not threatening. But by stopping and by moving back, by having my, my husband put his socks on um, our baby for me, I basically told my brain that that thought is dangerous. You can't tolerate having that thought. You better watch out for that in the future. And so I would have been better off. And what I do now is I just, I move on. I, I notice a thought, but I don't connect to it. And I behaviorally, that's what ERP is all about. You notice a thought, you don't connect to it. And you try to keep moving on as though that thought was not important. I deal with general anxiety myself and I always have like little ideas in my head because I use it for good. Like I harness it because I know I'm being anxious. Mm -hmm. So if I let it out to people, it's like, oh, they already know. So they don't have to question me. So I'll be like walking in like a Target or a CVS. I'm like, is everyone looking at me? Is like my fly down, blah, blah, blah. And then I'll wait in line behind somebody and be like, what would happen if I just tickled this guy? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like... A, it's like do like a lot of people probably have those types of thoughts. I don't know if it's a, like tickling people, but I, like a lot of people have like those like weird intrusive thoughts when they're anxious. Absolutely. And we've done tons of research to show that globally, no matter where you're at in the world, no matter what your socioeconomic status is, no matter what your mental health background is, everyone everyone in the world experiences intrusive thoughts, ideas, images, impulses, feelings. So I think the research globally says 95 to 99% of people acknowledge that they have these experiences. It's just, I think the, I actually think it's a hundred percent. I think the one to 5% of people who say no, probably don't understand the question or are too afraid to admit it. Um, but we all have these thoughts. We all have that like, oh my gosh, what if everyone's looking at me? Oh my gosh, what if I just tickled that guy in front of me? Um, and, yeah. and for the most part, we can notice that thought and we don't latch onto it. We don't connect to it. Um, you know, we can just stay in the line and 
that was a weird thought. I don't know what the heck that was about, but people who have OCD or who are vulnerable to developing OCD, they might think, oh my gosh, what does that mean about me that I had that thought? What does it mean that I just had that thought about tickling that guy in front of me? Does that mean I'm some kind of creep? Can I even trust myself in public? Oh my gosh, I can't be in public anymore. And so then they get out of line. They don't go back to the store and they, that fear generalizes to other things. And so you can imagine how in one scenario, you notice the thought, you don't connect to it and you stay in line. It's like, whatever, right? Like thoughts are weird and my brain is complicated and this is just strange and that's okay. Um, but in, in another situation, if the person connects to that thought and they rush out of the store and they avoid going back to the store because now they think they're a horrible person and they judge that thought, they think that thought means something, it's going to potentially snowball into a really big problem. Let's back up just a little bit for people that probably don't know what it is. OCD, what does it stand for? And what's the simplest way to explain it to somebody? You, you gave a great example, but I don't know if there was like a, like something that you start off with, with somebody. Sure. So obsessive compulsive disorder or OCD is really a two-part problem. So it consists of obsessions, which are, it's more of the general term, but in that an obsession can be a a recurring and persistent and really intrusive. It kind of just comes in out of nowhere. Like you didn't ask for that thought. You didn't conjure it up. It just kind of popped up into your awareness. Um, And those things can come up as thoughts. So like, what if I just tickled that guy in front of me? can also come up as images. I'm putting my son's sock on and all of a sudden I imagine his ankle going backwards, right? Can also be feelings, can be, um, you know, urges. I know I I work with a lot of people who are like in church. Oh my gosh, I I feel the urge. I don't want to do it. I would never do this, but I just want to, what if I just swore in front of this sermon, right? Yeah. Um, And so it's really persistent. It's really repetitive. It's really disruptive. And it's, Ego dystonic, which means it's inconsistent with your values. So these are not the people who are like, oh my gosh, that would be so cool if I yelled that that word in, in public, or it would be so funny if I just like tickled that guy and saw what happened. It's ego dystonic. So it is inconsistent with your values. Um, so those are the obsessions. And then there are compulsions. So the compulsions, otherwise known as rituals, we also sometimes will just call them safety behaviors. They're kind of anything that you do can be more of a mental act. Like, oh no, I would never tickle that guy. It's not a big deal. Can also be a behavioral act, you know, running out of the store, um, you know, backing away from that guy because you're afraid that you just might lose your impulses and, and, you know, touch him inappropriately. Um, There are tons of different types of obsessions. There are tons of different types of compulsions. Um, And it really is only limited by the imagination. We have very common themes or subtypes that we we talk about, but it's not limited to just that. So we do have, you know, we commonly see things like fear of contamination and the compulsion of hand-washing. We sometimes will also see, um, you know, it's, it's, kind of more commonly talked about, but, um, in a way that's maybe misrepresentative of OCD, which is like the ordering and arranging, um, but that's not when people like it. That's not when people want to do these things. It's, it's OCD is always very disturbing. They don't want to be doing these things. They feel like they would rather do anything else in the entire world, but they feel like they have to keep doing these things. 
This might be too broad of a question, but OCD, is it easy to diagnose? Because it seems like something that they would have to explain in great detail without seeing. Like with me with bipolar, it's like I have my rage episodes or manic or anything like that. So you can kind of see it in, in, my, in my change. But is OCD more of a thing where like if you were my therapist, I would have to like explain it to you or would you have to ask me certain questions? I know that it's probably too broad of a question or if it doesn't make sense, but let me know. I think it could go either way. Um, I think... OCD definitely requires someone as far as therapy goes. I think it definitely requires a specialist because there's so many little nuances. Um, you would definitely want to talk to someone who understands OCD. Um, you know, if, if you went to a really specialized person who treats OCD regularly and, and you said, you know, I just have these thoughts that I can't get out of my head. And like, I don't want to have these thoughts and I'm just really like freaked out by these thoughts that I can't stop. I would probably instantly know or, or be very suspicious that that is what it is that we're dealing with. And I could ask you the follow-up questions. Um, someone who's not as specialized in OCD might just misdiagnose that or just go completely in a, in a totally different direction. There's actually a, a lot of research to show that when we give professionals like nurses, nurse practitioners, psychiatrists, if we give them like a case report that is an unconventional or like not traditional OCD theme, i.e. not cleaning and hand washing, not fear of germs, not ordering and arranging, when it's kind of you know, there's also relationship OCD where someone's like really obsessive about and compulsive about their relationship. Is this the right relationship for me? Also sexual orientation OCD was the one specifically used in this study. Um, you know, not, I need to know 100% whether I'm gay or straight or bi or whatever. Um, I need to know 100%. If we give that like non-traditional case study to a, a professional who doesn't understand OCD, 85% of the time they misdiagnose that person as, you know, generalized anxiety disorder, or even in the postpartum OCD cases, unfortunately, sometimes with psychosis. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but it's really important to see someone who understands OCD for those reasons. This is why you're a professional. So I understand like the postpartum OCD for the most part with like the different, it's kind of, it's kind of like, yeah, it's like different topics with OCD. So I, I understand the intertwining of it all. My question now is the whole stigma behind OCD. It's like the reason I learned about OCD is because of like the ordering or people like touching, they have to turn their lights on like up and down three times. It's like, that's just not it. So like, how did that start with people that you think was like, this is what I have and it's OCD, but it's again, it's misdiagnosis. They're doing it for themselves. It's like, why do people do that? Do you think? So I have a, I have a pretty good reason. And so these, these subtypes, these manifestations that you're referencing, like the contamination, the fear of germs, fear of getting sick, the turning the, you know, the light switch on, on and off multiple times, um, even the ordering and arranging. I think we think as a, as a population, we think that that is what OCD is because if someone does have OCD, those are the, those are the kind of more socially acceptable manifestations very difficult to be open about, oh my gosh, like I, I can't stop thinking about breaking every bone in my son's body. It's not as pleasant to talk about that. Right. Yeah. And so it's yep. just much more readily, um, it's more readily seen. Right. So you can see someone who's washing their hands. You can see someone who's like having to go back and forth in their house numerous times to check their stove or whatever. Um, it's really difficult to see what's going on inside someone's head, like that flash of an image 
and then just like stepping away and giving the sock duty to your husband, right? Like that might not seem like anything, but it is. And so not only are those compulsions maybe a little bit more observable, um, I also think they're much easier to talk about. And so, you know, it's easier to talk about, you know, I, I just need to have everything a certain way. And even if they don't like it, even if they generally do have OCD with that manifestation, I would argue that that's easier to talk about than sexual intrusive thoughts, which is like, oh my gosh, what if I, you know, looked at my son's penis for too long when I was changing his diaper? What does that mean about me? Um, It's hard to talk about some of those things. So I would say that, and and those things happen, but it's just a drop in the bucket compared to all the other manifestations that OCD can have. It's very cool how open you are about those intrusive thoughts and uh, because it shows how real it is. I think another thing, Mm -hmm. I don't know how old you are, but when I was in like college, they had a show, uh, MTV True Life, and one of the episodes was on OCD and it it showed a lot of those things. So I think my people my age are like, oh yeah, I have OCD because I have to roll my socks up in a certain way. And it's like, no, I don't think it's exactly like that. But I think that is like a 2% reason why people, people talk like that for, uh, yeah. And and that's also easier to, to broadcast on TV, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's not as taboo as the sexual intrusive thoughts. I mean, there's a, one of the most common manifestations of OCD is harm intrusive thoughts. So like, oh my gosh, what if I just took this knife that I'm cooking dinner with and I just stabbed my dog? Like, oh my gosh, why did I have that thought? That's so I don't want to do that. I can't cook anymore. Yeah. And also sexual intrusive thoughts. Like I said, you know, fear that they are a pedophile. They're the last people on earth who would ever harm a child. And that's usually how it goes. They're usually very sweet, very gentle, very law abiding and role following. Um, Cause like I said, these are ego dystonic. They are disruptive because they are so inconsistent with your values. The brain is so weird, huh? So weird. It's so and that's what I tell people. That's what I, that's what I think the first level of psychoeducation is about. It's acknowledging that our brains are beautiful. Our brains came up with airplanes and the iPhone like 57 or whatever yeah, the heck we're on right I'm now. Saying. Like we can't have that beauty and that creativity and those sparks of inspiration. Like we can't have that and not also have some of the crap. We're going to have spam thoughts. Like I think of all of the people who come up with like those awesome horror movies, like they had some pretty strange thoughts. They just, you know, channeled it and did something with it and they didn't judge it. Right. Um, and so I think you're so right. Like the brain is weird and I think a a big part of OCD recovery is accepting that and knowing that that is the way that it is and we're never going to change it. You can change your perception of it. And these thoughts don't have to mean anything. I like chatting with you. This is a great interview because I love exactly how you like speaking about this. Are you a big horror movie fan? I am. I actually, so I used to be, I actually used to want to be like a horror film director. Um, I loved like scaring people and I loved uh, being like in haunted houses when I was little. Um, And that's probably why I like to do the work that I do now. I do exposure therapy, right? So I'm like constantly like helping people expose themselves to their fears. Obviously it's in a very therapeutic way, but it's just very serendipitous how it all happened. I definitely want to get into the ERP right next, but who is your favorite like horror movie monster? Like the Mike Myers, the Jasons, the, uh, so favorite, I guess if this can be a favorite, it would be Mike Myers. He has always terrified me. 
And I think it's because there's so much uncertainty with him and people who are anxious and who have OCD tendencies, historically, they do not like uncertainty. That's what it's all about is this intolerance of uncertainty. I think it's so with him, especially it's like, why does he walk? (laughs) Yeah. He's why does he walk? Yeah. He's a modern day tortoise in the hair. It's like, he's going to cut the hair every time. And like, he never dies and he never even has like that brutal of like tactics or weapons. It's like a knife in his just brute strength. Yeah. So he's always terrified me always. I don't know if this is a rumor or not, but I remember reading that the mask was like shaped after like William Shatner or something. Uh huh. Like it was like, oh, okay, from Star Wars. Star Trek. Come on. Star Trek. Yeah. Oh my. We I've actually that. never seen. I've actually never seen Star Wars or Star Trek. So. Okay. It was, okay. I might end this interview right now. <laughs> I just totally called myself out. I didn't even realize that they were necessarily different. I'm not doing myself any favors here, apparently. <laughs> Let's go on to the ERP, all right? <laughs> Let's get back to what I know. Come yeah, on. Yeah. Oh, man. Let's, uh, oh, yeah. So, so the ERP, the exposure and response prevention, how does that work for the OCD community? So exposure and response prevention, um, we see it as a two-part solution to what I previously said was a two-part problem, right? So obsessions and compulsions, that was the two-part problem. Then we have the solution, exposure and response prevention, two-part solution. So there is this exposure piece where with a therapist, you'll work um, to in a way that's gradual, but still manageable. And also still, it's going to be challenging. You expose yourself to your fears or your feared consequences. Um, so someone who is fearful of, um, oh my gosh, what if I'm in someone who actually is like legitimately fearful of just like losing impulse control and tickling people or touching people inappropriately at the stores, they might have the exposure to stand in line at various stores. They may even have like further exposures where they need to lean in and like stand a little bit closer to someone and, you know, maybe even like accidentally bump up against someone, so on and so forth. Um, But then you also have the ritual prevention or the response prevention piece, which is that exposure does no good if you just do that and then you run away because you're so terrified, right? You you can't just touch something dirty and then wash your hands right after if you're fearful of contamination or getting sick. You need to do the exposure. You need to challenge yourself and, you know kind of poke the bear, but then you also need to stand your ground. You need to, you know, show your body and show your brain that you don't need to do these compulsions in order to, you know, keep moving in order for the world to keep spinning. Um, and so it's really important to have this exposure piece where you're gradually kind of going outside of your comfort zone to do these scary things, but you also need to do the response prevention where you're, you're reducing or resisting those safety behaviors that you normally would have done to keep yourself safe. I understand why you wanted to be a therapist. Why did you prefer to work with people with OCD? So I really fell in love with ERP first. And I think that had to do with the fact that I loved things like horror and I loved fear. I loved fear. Fear and anxiety were always just so fascinating to me, not just because of my own personal experiences with it growing up, but also just like, I love the fact that it's meant to keep us alive. It's not bad. It's not something that we can or should ever strive to get rid of. We, like you said, some anxiety is good. Like if we didn't have anxiety about things, then we wouldn't be motivated to care, right? Like if I wasn't a little bit anxious about going on this podcast, I would have never done my prep work and listened to a bunch of your episodes before. I would have never 
<laughs> I would have never like opened up the emails and done my, you know, had my microphone ready. Um, if you're not anxious about a test, you're not going to put in the work to study. Um, so anxiety is a good thing. If we didn't have it, we wouldn't be motivated towards our desires. It's all about honing it in and mastering your own reactions and your own responses to that anxiety. And I think far too often we're so uncomfortable in that state of anxiety. We interpret it as dangerous, but it's really that that feeling is not what's dangerous. And, and we don't want to get rid of it completely. It's all about our reactions to it and our behavioral responses to it. I just thought of a nice quote that you could have for your practice underneath where it says, are you down with OCD? Now come see me. And like the naughty by nature. Like, I think that would be good. You can I love take it. that, right? I would, I, I, got would it. Like, I would be like, you know what? I'm going to her because she likes good music, likes horror movies and knows how to treat my OCD. So yeah, you're absolutely But I don't know anything about Star Wars or Star Trek. So yeah. Oh, cheapest, cheapest. Take it or leave it. <laughs> um, so you're, yeah, we talked a little quick about uh, Townsend University. You're a graduate of there. And I was like, we're talking about the uh, famous people from there, like Amy Schumer. And then who did you say? Oh, Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps. How was, uh, mm -hmm. how was college for you with, with dealing with all that? College was actually very weird. Uh, it, it was, it was strange. Uh, speaking of anxiety and fear, I had a peeping Tom. It was really? a, a weird. Yeah, it was weird. I grew up in a, like an Amish town, like Amish central Pennsylvania. Um, like legitimately there were horse carriages in our Walmart parking lot. That was like where I was coming from. So then I go to like Baltimore and I'm just totally starstruck by the city. And I was living by myself. Long story, but taxi driver wanted my number and I thought that it was like a, some really innocent thing, like that I needed, he needed my number to tell me when he would come and get me from the bar or whatever. And he ended up like stalking me and he was outside of my apartment and it was just this big thing. So it kind of, and that was all before I even started classes. So it kind of tainted my experience for the rest of the time. But with that said, I did a lot of cool research. I'm, I wanted out of it for the longest time, but just the way that I ended up in my job after grad school, it was all, like I said, very serendipitous. Like it, I have no doubt that I'm exactly where I am because I went to Towson and because I, I, I did all these cool things. Like everything worked out exactly the way that it should have. It's super cliche, but it totally, totally happened. That's fantastic to hear. Before we wrap up, I, I meant to say this about the whole Mike Myers thing. I am a huge Jason fan. So I don't, I like Mike Myers, but Jason's my guy because I don't know how to swim either. And he drowned. So I kind of feel that connection. And I like hockey wears a hockey mask. So I'm a big Jason go. guy. And he's also a walker. He's a, he's a, he's a stroller. So he's a, also the tortoise in the hair. I was going to say, I couldn't remember if he ran or not, but I think he was, he's a, he's a creeper. Yeah. He's just like coming out of the water all slow and stuff. So yeah, I, I like the ball. They're good. They're good. Freddie can kick rocks. He, I don't like him at all. He's. Uh, I'm not into Freddie as much. Plus, his like background as being like a pedophile kind of weirds me out. Yeah, and he. Just, I didn't realize that I was always too. I was always very fascinated by their backstories. Like I loved, yeah. like my, that Michael Myers, like all of, all of his story and Jason's story. Yeah. I was a total nerd for horror and fear my whole entire life. And now I'm a therapist. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's all. You have all these creepy posters in there. You're like, oh, what is going on here? Yeah. Yeah. He looks like a big meatball. Um, yeah. So let's end with this. Uh, we talk about this with everybody here. If you were like a professional wrestler, boxer, UFC fighter, and you came out to a huge arena, what would your theme song be? 
this is going to sound so nerdy, but I told you I had a dream about this because I was thinking about it. Um, is it the Mike it Myers be, theme song? <laughs> no, it's even it's even worse. It's All I Do Is Win by, I think it's like DJ Khaled. Yeah. DJ, so, yeah? I think you can find and that I have song. a reason. I have a reason for that. Okay, go. So I think of, I think, like I said in the beginning, like a lot of success with OCD and anxiety can come from viewing it as a game. Like you're in a competition with a game, like it is your competitor and you can do certain things to win points, right? Like, no, I'm going to stand in this CVS line and I'm, you know, whatever thoughts I have, I'm going to have, I'm going to keep putting those socks on my son, no matter what the thoughts are that I'm having, no matter how anxiety provoking it is. I've been playing a competitive game with OCD and anxiety since I was seven, since my earliest memories. And it's always been a game to me. It's always been a competition. And I think people can really benefit from seeing OCD and anxiety that way. So it was just, it came to me and I was like, all I do is win because you know, you, you got to treat it like a game. You got to keep doing whatever it takes to win like little, little day by day. All I do is win. So I thought that was perfect. And the hand goes up. I like that song. You could probably find yeah, there, and we, and it stays there and it stays there. Um, <laughs> the whole, I, for the rest of the interview. Yeah, the whole interview. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you could definitely catch that song on like that's what I call now volume ninety five or something. <laughs> Great. Yeah, I ha- my son does karate, and I think it was like on the like the kids bop or whatever the other day, and I was like, that's actually a good answer to that question that he's going to ask me. So it was perfect. That's fantastic. I'm very uh, biased to it in martial arts, but get your son into jujitsu. Yeah. He'll thank you later. Jiu-jitsu is where it's at. If he mixes karate with jujitsu, he'll be the best defensive player of all time. I actually think he does he does taekwondo. So okay. I might have like I don't know I don't know, karate versus taekwondo versus the other things, but uh yeah, it's like little simple things. But yeah, take a look into jujitsu for your son and uh get back to me. <laughs> cool. He's four. Can he do it? I'm sure yeah. he would love it because he oh, loves yeah. taekwondo. Yeah, they can. Uh, they start with uh, young kids. Uh, yeah, so I got one of my. I got my actually jujitsu gym uh, gym shirt on. Uh, Vivir. That's awesome. Uh, look at that. It's meant to be. Um, all right, let's end with this. What are three things that you're grateful for today? <sighs> I'm really grateful for nicer weather. I live in Wisconsin, and it is. It has been brutal. Like I always get into a funk in the winter because we have winter, 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 two weeks of summer, and then it's winter again. So just super stoked for nicer weather. I'm really grateful for, this is going to sound probably lame, but it keeps coming to my mind. My meditation practice, I meditate every day, even if it's for like five to 10 minutes. And it's just crazy how it can like center you and make you realize like, I don't have to be go, go, go all the time. Like it actually is a good reminder that it's okay to slow down and just chill a little bit. Um, and I'm really grateful for my therapist, like who was able to work with me during my own postpartum stuff. It just wasn't enough for me to help myself. Um, so I'm really grateful that I was able to get into therapy because I know so many people can't for whatever reason. So I'm really happy and grateful every day that I was able to do that. Those are three great ones. Jenna, where can everyone find you? 
So I am over um, on Instagram mostly at jenna.overbaugh. Um, I also have a podcast called All the Hard Things. Um, and if you want to work with me, I also, like I said, I'm at NoCD. So we are at www.treatmyocd.com. Um, and there's also a really cool app. Um, I try to go on every once in a while and interact with people. Um just give them some encouragement and whatnot. There's lots of free tools, lots of free resources for OCD and anxiety. So it's the treat my OCD app. You'll see more of me on that app. Um, I do some webinars on there as well. So um, it's the treat my OCD app. You can find me on Instagram, like I said. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm kind of all over the place. Yeah. So if, if anyone has any more questions or wants to learn more, that's where you can find me. And if you listen to this whole interview, Jenna is a absolute professional. So you, you're definitely not going to go the wrong route. I actually have my own app too. So if you download the 20, 10 minutes, Ooh. App, yeah, I, I, I have a nice little app that, that was made for me by a friend. So you should check that out. It's free. It's uh free 99 on both the stores. That takes talent. Like I, I am talented at a lot of things. I have nothing. I have no idea how to make apps or oh, anything my, my, like that. My microphone's a USB cord. I have no idea what's going on. This is like balling on a budget. But we, there. we seem like we know what's going on and that's fake all it matters. to make it fake it to make it. No, you, you know what you're doing. You're not faking it, Put your hand, <laughs> and the hand goes up. Jenna, thank you so much for chatting with me. You are awesome. This is a great interview and definitely chat with you soon. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was so much fun. podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. If you are feeling suicidal, please dial 911.